Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 6 of Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be reading verses 3 and 4. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I'll stop reading there. Now, uh, we're presently looking at verse 3, where God has spoken of the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. And in verse 3, he um, then says that the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And we saw how God has been insinuating this very thing, or, or acting it out through biblical history. It, repeatedly, all through biblical history, God has been teaching that it is his plan to make a people for himself and then to dwell with them. He did this with national Israel. When he delivered Israel out of Egypt, they became his people. A corporate entity, a whole nation delivered from a ruthless king and cruel bondage in Egypt. And then God had them construct a tabernacle and he dwelt among them in a type and a figure, of course, of the ark indwelling that tabernacle. Then later, God had a king, King David, um, prepare, and then King Solomon build a temple. And the ark was placed in the temple, signifying God's presence dwelling with his people. And the sacrifices were offered in the temple, and, and it was all key and central to the teaching that God will make himself a people and then God will dwell with those people. Now the problem with Israel was that they were people. They were sinful people. They were not the elect of them. Some were a remnant out of Israel were elect but they were used to typify what God was doing actually throughout all history in building a spiritual house or a spiritual tabernacle that would be completed at the end of the world at the point when God would save the last one that he intended to save and then he would indwell. His spirit would indwell each one of them and then finally, uh, God would place them in the land of 
a new earth, which the land of Canaan pictured and typified, and God would dwell with this newly formed people, uh, perhaps as many as 200 million. God would dwell with them forevermore. And all of the biblical language that that uses um, eternal terms like forevermore or everlasting, we read concerning the covenant of God, concerning the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, concerning God's uh, dwelling in the house of God. It was to be an eternal dwelling place. And none of those things um, fit or or happen with the types that were used in this world. The temple was destroyed. The tabernacle is no more. No one even knows what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. The land of Canaan, Israel, and Jerusalem will be destroyed when this world is destroyed. There will be no eternal dwelling in any of those types or figures that God used. And that shows that it is always the deeper spiritual meaning that has the greater significance, that carries the greater weight. And those statements are true statements when viewed spiritually and It is the creation, the formation of a new heaven and a new earth with a new people, new creatures, all of them, in body and soul, resurrected um, individuals without sin who are placed in that new creation and, and God then dwells with them eternally. And all the promises of the Bible are fulfilled at that point. When the world, this present evil, cursed world ends, and the new heaven and new earth, the new world is created, then God has completed his word. He has uh, upheld his commandments or his statements that he has given throughout the Bible every one of them would have found fulfillment with the creation of this new heaven and new earth. Well, uh, it goes on to say at the end of verse 3, He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And doesn't that sound familiar? God himself shall be with them. And be their God. Where have we heard that before? Well, we've heard that concerning the promise of the Messiah. Remember in, in the book of Isaiah, over 700 years before the birth of, of Jesus Christ into the world, the Lord moved Isaiah the prophet to write in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a compound word that means God with us. Em is um, a Hebrew word, man is a Hebrew word, and 
or, or menu, and El means God, God with us. Uh, God defines that word in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, speaking of the Virgin Mary. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is... God with us. Emmanuel, Jesus, is the promised son. God gave uh, promises uh, that were fulfilled with the first coming of Christ. And uh, one of the reasons he did that was to show that he is a faithful God, that his word is true and faithful and can be always trusted, that God watches over his promises to fulfill them in their proper time and season. And so he gave promises regarding the first coming of Christ the Messiah, Emmanuel. And here in Matthew, in the year 7 BC, uh, a jubilee year, came the essence of the jubilee, the Lord Jesus Christ to set the captives free, to demonstrate the things he had done from the foundation of the world. And God reverts back or directs the attention of the reader back to Isaiah the prophet and Isaiah's statement of the virgin conceiving and bringing forth a son whose name would be Emmanuel, which means, according to God's own interpretation, God with us. And and Christ is eternal God and was eternal God when he entered into the world and dwelt amongst humans or mankind. And yes, that is one of the things that God had in view with this statement, God with us. He, he did humble himself, eternal God, humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant and and uh, as a man walked amongst men but but that was only a stepping stone it was god with us in bodily form in human form but god's intent is far greater than than just being with people um standing on the same earth it is God's intent to dwell with his people and not temporarily, not just for a little while as he dwelt uh, in a figure in the tabernacle and he dwelt in a figure of the ark in the temple and those things came to an end. But God's promise, remember, is to dwell everlastingly with his people. Let me read again what we read in 1 Kings chapter 8. Once the house of God was built and finished and the ark was placed therein, it, it said 
in verse 12 of 1 Kings 8, Then spake Solomon, Jehovah said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. I have surely built thee a house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. And again, that was never true of the actual physical construction, the house that that Solomon built. But it is true of the one that Solomon himself represented, the man of peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is who is the embodiment of peace, according to Ephesians chapter 2. Christ built a house. Whose house are we? And in that house, God is settled and will abide forever. And Jesus entering into the human race, God with us, was another demonstration of God's plan and in full intent to obtain that people for himself that he would reside in into eternity future. And and now here in Revelation 21, we see this wonderful statement concerning the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be or will be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. There is the fulfillment of Emmanuel, God with them, God with the elect. And and never again will there be any separation because it's sin that separates a man from his God according to other information in the book of Isaiah. Sins have separated you from your God. But there is no sin in the new heaven and new earth. Therefore, there will be no separation. God, as he has promised, will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Remember that wonderful statement in Hebrews, in chapter 13, in um, reference to what uh, starts out as a discussion with marriage in verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You see how God introduces the holy city, New Jerusalem, the the bride of Christ in Revelation 21, because he is the bridegroom, and all those he has saved are the bride, and it is the coming together in spiritual marriage, God and his people. He has a people to love and to dwell with. And his marriage vow to his bride is an eternal habitation, an eternal cohesiveness and unity and oneness, uh, as, as the Gospel of John points out, that Christ is one in the Father and we are in him. And 
now he indwells his people. He is with them forever and ever. And there cannot be divorce for any reason. You know, the, the church um, doesn't know what it's doing oftentimes when it uh, devises out of its own mind false teaching or false doctrine. It sounds good to them, and there's pressure put upon them by the unsaved in the congregation, as many of these uh, doctrinal errors were developed in centuries past. And, and so there was pressure that men applied concerning um, just a, a, an allowance for divorce in certain cases of adultery. And, well, who can argue against that? The wife has been unfaithful, so only in these special circumstances could a man put away his wife. That was built into a, a confession. And and yet the church itself did not uh, act upon that for most of its history because God kept a hand of restraint upon them. Not until the 20th century, the time of the end, arrived, God began to uh, allow the church to go after its own lustful desires and 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 its high places and serve them more and more. And then it exploded. Marriage and divorce became rampant for any reason. And and the church now doesn't even think about the idea that there's not to be divorce for any reason whatsoever. That's the true Bible teaching that when when a man and a woman get married, according to the Bible... The, what the Bible actually says, not what the church says the Bible says, but according to the Word of God, when a man and a woman marry, they are married until death. Until the husband dies or the wife dies, they are joined together by God, and, and Christ said what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And what do men do? That If that's not clear enough, and of course for men it's never clear enough, men put the marriage asunder. Well, because of adultery, or because of this, or because of that. And, and there's divorce all over, because man just does not listen or hearken to the word of God. It's the nature of man to disobey God, to rebel against his commandments. But God's commandment, is perfectly clear there is never to be divorce and the reason is God is bound by his own law and it, according to the law of God that cannot be broken nor changed nor altered God's law is much more um, special and, and superior than the law of the Medes and the Persians and the Medes and the Persians had great respect for the law of their king. If the king gave a decree, it must be upheld. Well, God's law is far uh, more urgent and, and important than the law of some people, like the Medes and the Persians. And God's law is upheld to the utmost by God. He will not transgress it 
Of course, if he did, that would be a sin. God cannot sin, the Bible tells us. It's impossible for him to lie or, or to do any kind of evil, and evil is the transgression of his law. And the law of God states a husband must love his wife, and a husband, once married, is married until death. Well, now when you get into the new heaven and new earth, and you have the bridegroom join with the bride, the body of believers, all those that Christ has saved and redeemed and washed and made pure and white, that that's the fine linen, the righteousness of saints, that's her wedding gown, as it were, and now they are joined together in unison as one, and and now that union cannot be broken. Well, what if there's sin? No, God says there will be no divorce, there will be no separation. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. It is the marriage vow of God, and. And, of course, there will be no sin then, because sin would would break in and bring death, and there will be no death. It, it is an eternal marriage. It is a super special joining together of an intimate relationship between God and His people. How does it say here? He will dwell with them. They shall be His people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.